Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Good afternoon. This is Jay Levine with Alan Carter. Hi, Alan. Hi, Jay. And so this is sort of the final in our uh, three-part series about antitrust and consumer protection uh, with respect to the uh, current public health crisis related to COVID-19. And what we really wanted to speak to you about is, you know, kind of antitrust and price gouging enforcement, not just during this crisis, but really what kinds of things we can expect um, as this crisis abates and, and, and we're finally out of it, and what you can do now to try to protect yourself uh, against those. So, you know, there's there have been states of emergency and public crises before, but, you know, Alan, can we take any or can we learn anything from past historical emergencies like Katrina or Hurricane Andrew or the like? There are probably some lessons that we can take from that, but I, maybe the biggest takeaway I have from looking at those is that, you know, those were regional issues, whereas this is global. And it's, it's hard to predict how AGs across the country are going to enforce these statutes uh, going forward. Some might choose to be hyper aggressive, whereas others might say, you know, we have we have other issues that we need to take care of during this global pandemic. But history has shown that AGs have been aggressive to protect the consumers in their states from price gouging and and that sort of thing. And we know that the DOJ is looking for informants. So I do expect the AG to be to find a, a few bad apples to prosecute during this time. But it's it's uncertain how state AGs will react under the price gouging statutes, I think. After Katrina, the state of Tennessee did sue, I believe it was ExxonMobil, and that litigation took oh, close to 10 years before it was finally wrapped up with ExxonMobil agreeing to pay uh, somewhere around $12 million to the state. So there's certainly precedent out there for AGs to get aggressive and chase down companies that they think have engaged in price gouging. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You you, you said, uh, obviously, this is we in our lifetime, we haven't seen anything like this where it's not just regional, it's not just even national, it's global. You know, usually because they are regional, it's in a given state or even in a region where AGs can easily coordinate. Over here, people are selling products or buying products, you know, in every state. You know, it's somewhat unprecedented, you know, who's are, are, is a company going to go after in every state or is a company going to be prosecuted in every state or is there going to be some sort of coordination? It remains to be seen. I think thus far the actions that we've seen so far in the investigations tend to be state-specific, you know, as these investigations continue, um, it, it will be interesting to see sort of how the AGs coordinate among each other to bring their actions, especially given the fact that each state's price gouging statute and executive orders differ from each other. Yeah, it's a very interesting, you know, sort of kaleidoscope <laughs> of legislation and executive orders. And, you know, it, it kind of looks uh, through the lens, however, whatever your original perspective is, I think, on, on these things. Uh, I'd be surprised if you don't see an MDL at some point in time, several of these state statutes for specified products. But 
you know, if, if you put my feet to the fire, I don't know if I would be able to point to a consistent law that would, you know, be enforced through such an MDL. Maybe, maybe the DPA would offer some hook or uniform uh, deceptive trade practices would provide a hook to enterprising plaintiffs attorneys, but uh, I would be surprised if there's not some sort of national scope litigation that arises from this related to some specified medical supply or something like that. Um, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, we expect state AGs to be um, active. And again, some states will be act- more active than in others. I mean, you know, Florida, New York, uh, California, Ohio, where there is traditional activity and lots of activity, but in other states as well. The, the One of the things I think that will be interesting is, you know, we're, we're all expecting our, our economy, our economy already has taken quite a big of a hit and will unfortunately continue to do so before it turns around. There's going to be a, a national anger. It's not like you can take the anger out on the virus itself, per se. You know, people who profited from this crisis, people are going to want them to pay. And so it will be interesting to see what the state legislatures do, to see what the federal legislature does in terms of providing some sort of abilities to punish punitive action or even just get redress from things that the public thinks were done wrong to them. I, I yeah. just think this is this is going to be a big political issue, too. I mean, i, I got to imagine, <laughs> you know, this is going to dominate, you know, the, our, our fall right before our presidential elections as well. But everyone running for Congress, I mean, I assume they're, they're all going to be, you know, talking about how, how they're going to go after people. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And I think one thing that's sort of interesting is New York State had pending legislation prior to the COVID-19 um, epidemic or pandemic. Uh, I, I believe it was introduced in January of 2019. And that pending legislation was going to give a private right of action for price gouging uh, in the state of New York. And, you know, I, I'd certainly expect that legislation to proceed now uh, in light of everything that happened there in New York. And once that happens in New York, are we going to see it kind of domino across the country? Perhaps um, I'd be surprised if there's not at least talk of federal legislation on a price gouging statute. You know, stuff to that effect, I think, is probably likely to at least be discussed in this this political environment um, in an election year, like you just said. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, you know, where if – we already see the FTC going after and wants to hear about um, scams related to the coronavirus, to the stimulus bill and things like that. I mean, unfortunately, when there's crises like this, there's some bad actors are going to try to take advantage and, and they're going to come down hard. Even, you know, without that, you, we know they're going to go after those, you know, who have seen to hoard or price fix or, or do things that are clearly off the reservation, but even things that you know, might not be so off the reservation, so to speak. Uh, It could be caught in this web. And I think whether it's by executive order, by state statute, by federal statute, you know, people have to keep in mind that if, you know, you're a company that is making money during this time, even if you've done everything right, uh, you could be the target of ire, whether that's, you know, right or wrong, 
and you need to kind of think about, is there any way that someone could interpret your actions to be a violation of price gouging, of an unfair or deceptive trade practices act, or um, somehow just, you know, just unfair competition? Can they interpret that in any way? Because, you know, uh, you can always get sued. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And, and I mentioned, Jay, in the, in the first episode, we, we talked a little bit about now is a good time to remind, you know, lower employees in the in the chain of command not to send those, you know, joke emails or snarky emails about the, the crisis because you never know if that's going to end up in court and this or other litigation. You know, maybe it, it arises in the context that has nothing to do with COVID-19, but, you know, you don't want a jury to see that your employees were acting flippantly uh, related to the crisis. You just never know how a jury is going to react. You might We might have an environment in a couple of years where people are really wanting to punish people who didn't treat the crisis as a crisis or, you know, made money, like you said, or acted flippantly or for any other host of reasons. You're absolutely right. I saw an article that once we're all back and once we're having trials again, we all know that juries tend to have sort of an in for big companies. You know, they're, they're, they seem to think, especially from the antitrust realms, that they got big or they got profitable because they did something wrong or whatever. But, you know, in this day and age, there's there's going to be, you know, with unemployment, I mean, who knows once the crisis is gone what employment will be. But, uh, you know, we know for sure that people are not going to be as well off after the crisis as they were before. And there's going to be pent-up anger, and a lot of that anger is always directed at bigger companies. So, I mean, Alan, you're 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 absolutely right. Imagine yourself defending a, a company in a trial, and somehow the other side is able to introduce evidence about your employees talking about sort of COVID-19 in ways that might be interpreted as as disrespectful. I mean, how will you feel? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be the defense attorney that is sitting there while the plaintiff is, you know, using as exhibit one uh, employees, you know, talking amongst themselves about how the company has a bunch of N95 masks that they're not using, you know, or or something to that effect. You just you just don't want to be in that situation in uh, the the post COVID nineteen environment. I don't think so. I would advise everyone out there to direct their employees to kind of stay mum on the topic, uh, especially no jokes or memes or any gifs or anything like that might be interpreted as not treating the crisis as a serious matter. Yeah, I mean, you know, even just from a human level, every one of us knows somebody who has either gotten very sick or unfortunately has passed away because of the COVID-19, and that's going to unfortunately increase in the coming days. And it's just you need to, even though there's gallows humor, and sometimes, you know, we're all guilty of gallows humor at one point or the other, you got to remind your employees that what is seen as innocent now may not be seen as innocent uh, down the road and kind of keep those comments, you know, out of, out of emails and, and documents. And, and even if you're somehow the, the crisis has, uh, 
you know, worked in your favor somehow, that you were losing money before and, and now demand has shot up for your products and, and you're making money now. Don't lure in documents. And But, you know, let's turn this a little bit more positive, Alan. What would you tell companies who who are actually could make more money but are not or affirmatively not uh, charging what they could or are giving away things or, you know, doing things to help the community, you know, what would you cancel them now as to what they should be doing about that information? Sure. Certainly, if, you know, this this crisis, you've been in a position to help the community or, you know, other companies or the medical professions to see their way through the crisis, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting some good PR out there and, and releasing that information into the general public. There, if you're in a position to help, certainly um, you should. If you have facilities that other companies or maybe even competitors could use to put out products that would be useful, I, the the DOJ is going to look at COVID-19 related activities probably with more in the eye of on the rule of reason than the, than per se. So you know, if, if you have the ability to help uh, even your competitors, it, it, you probably can do so without running afoul of antitrust laws um, at this time. So did you have anything else in mind, Jay? I think that's exactly right. And, you know, we don't mean to suggest that you should, you know, act out favorably to your community just so you can get some good PR. I mean, but uh, but let's face it that, you know, if you're a big company and you're making money at this time, uh, you, you may have a target on your back whether you did anything wrong or not. And it, and it would be prudent for you to, you know, document your good deeds and, and have them out so that, you know, it, it is out there in, in the in the public uh, space so that if uh, if people you know look you up or or whatever they they see the good works you've done and if you didn't charge everything you could have because you were worried about you know uh, your consumers and the like while humility is a virtue um, at the same time you need to protect yourself uh, because a lot of entities are going to be looking for scapegoats, uh, you know, including, you know, failed companies. And they're going to be looking to their competitors to see what 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 they could do or what they could claim. And so it, it's, you know, this is a little bit of a, you know, ounce of prevention or protection. I don't think you can prevent the action, but, you know, at least at least let this be discoverable and let, you know, should a should a juror google your your client, let them see the, you know, the good works they've done. But uh sure, and, know, and a good example I was just going to say, Jay, a good example where the 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 platform, the selling platforms, uh, mm-hmm. uh, online platforms, uh, they've they've taken affirmative steps to stop pricing on their their platforms, and when inevitably they're sued, like they have been done in Florida for price gouging, they can point to those actions and say, you know, we were we were doing our best, and query how maybe that applies in other industries, but if you can take actions affirmatively to prevent people taking advantage of the public right now, it's, it behooves you to do so, uh, both just for the community good and for the sake of your company down the road if you become the, the target of a failed business or somebody else looking for a scapegoat. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, if, if there are companies that are failing and if there are, it doesn't mean you have to help them. It doesn't mean that you have to open up your factories or your processes to them, not you know, doesn't doesn't mean that at all. Um, but at the same time, 
um, just understand that that may put you in a position of somebody looking at you closely, and so you need to you need to make sure you know your emails and communications are reflecting your actual business practices, and there's no insinuation you were trying to do anything um, nefarious, and and if there are good works, you you know you get them out there and the like because. Um, Class actions, DOJ actions, FTC actions, state AG actions—they're—they're they're all on the. They're going to be happening, and you know you can't prevent it if somebody is dead set about suing you. But what you can do is put yourself in as good a position as possible. And again, if any questions with re- with regards to that, we're we're certainly here to help. And and listen, you know. This is all through the supply chain, right? I mean, the the interesting thing is a, a given company can be both a uh, a victim of activity and be considered, you know, a criminal engaging in that activity, right? Yeah, two sides of the same coin, really. You know, if you're if you're in the middle of the supply chain, for instance, you might be a victim of price gouging uh, from your suppliers, and then when you turn around and sell those same goods to an end user or you know a, a retailer you could be then the criminal uh, if if you're operating in one of these states that doesn't provide uh defense for uh, passing along increased costs you really have to pay attention to what's going on there doesn't have to be any intent in most of these statutes to fall to be deemed a criminal i guess um under the statutes Another thing I I think that might arise from the crisis, uh, as we've talked a little bit about, Jay, is trends tend to be accelerated in times of crisis. And um, (laughs) right, so one of the one of the trends we've noticed over time is uh, sort of this the squeezing of you know producers, uh, especially agricultural producers and, and the like, who have had their margins squeezed from the ultimate retailers, and I thought maybe you'd want to talk about that, uh, Jay, and what you've seen and expect from that. Alan's exactly right. The crises tend to just exacerbate things uh, that already exist, and and we know there have been a number of of lawsuits um, against um, uh, agricultural companies, both the, the processors of those companies against the producers of the agricultural uh, markets. Um, you know, Alan and I represent uh, a large, a large agricultural producer, and we've had two trials, which will be subjects of other podcasts and and the like. But we've already had two trials, um, and thankfully, uh, our client prevailed in in both of those so far. But uh, you know, these these trends can be exacerbated in times where, especially food items, are you know, uh, food prices have gone up, it, it does behoove uh, food and agricultural producers and processors to uh, be mindful of um, of everything we've been talking about. But specifically, there have been claims that the processors of companies like beef processors have engaged in the activity because, you know, uh, at least the claim is cattle ranchers and beef ranchers who sell their the meat or the cattle to the beef processors, the price, the retail price of beef has uh, risen steadily, whereas the price sold to the producer, to the cattle rancher, um, has actually not risen by a proportional amount and in some respects have, have gone down. And so, and that was true even before the crisis and now that the crisis 
has um, all, almost all commodity products, uh, food products have gone up, um, sort of exacerbates the situation. And, and one wonders whether that will be fodder for even uh, additional lawsuits and additional investigations as to whether, you know, some of the processors are engaging in conduct that may be in a competitive towards the rancher. Yeah, so, and, and uh, I think that I think the beef. I, I believe the the line there from Senator Grassley, who referred the matter to the DOJ for investigation, that in this letter, I, I believe he identified a 17% drop over the last two months to the rancher uh, in in terms of price that they're receiving, whereas the retail price has increased. I think it, the number was 44%. So the the markets operate in opposite ways, and Senator Grassley said this this might be pretty good indication that the market's broken here and we need to investigate why that the market's broken. And like you said, Jay, uh, across other commodities, that trend's been uh, happening for a little while now, not just over the last few months, but as the crisis deepens, uh, trends like that are likely to continue to increase. Absolutely. And I think there's already a suit by um, chicken farmers against some of the chicken processors for exactly that same sort of scenario. And again, as as the prices increase, at least downstream, that gap may widen and uh, may uh, may cause other lawsuits uh, to be engaged in. So these 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 are all sort of trends you, you need to think about. And and it's true. In the food and ag, and maybe true in other in other commodities and other supply chains, where if at one point of the supply chain the the price is you know the margin is is narrow, and in another part of the supply chain the the margin is wide, that does call into question what's going on, right? Right, right, absolutely, and especially in a, in you know industries where there's points in the supply chain that our trend towards being monopolistic um, that can definitely uh, raise red flags. Yeah. So, you know, for all those reasons, I, I think it, it behooves companies to, you know, talk to their to their antitrust counsel and, um, you know, sort of uh, make sure they got a game plan going forward. Uh, try to keep their their records. Their, uh, you know, if their costs have been going up, um, to document those well. And uh, to document, you know, obviously their goodwill and their deeds, not necessarily that that's going to save anybody because, you know, every action is on its merit. But it, it, nevertheless, if this comes before a jury, those are those are certain things, certainly things that you may want to try to get out. And and again, you, you really want to make sure you know, what people are saying in the documents and, and making sure that really people are saying uh, what is true and keeping the editorializing to themselves. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, so you know, I, it's going to be an interesting post-COVID-19 environment. Um, we suspect there's going to be uh, loads of lawsuits, and you just want to make sure you've protected yourself. And if you've been the victim, that you've properly positioned yourself to be able to prevail, right? I mean, Absolutely. companies yep. companies can be on either side of the V at, at this time. Yep, absolutely. Anywhere in the supply chain, you could be a criminal or you could be a victim. And uh, you got to be on the look for both if you're a company in this environment. 
So, well, we hope you've enjoyed our uh, short three-part series. We will also hopefully be uh, trying to get out some client alerts on these matters as well, but wanted to uh, give you a little bit more of a, a fuller picture by uh, having our, our discussion. Again, this is Jay Levine, the, uh, the host of Antitrust Law Source. You can get me at the letter J, L-E-V-I-N-E, at porterite.com, 202-778-3021, on Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, uh, Alan, how can people reach you? They can reach me at my email, which is a, uh, the letter, carter at porterwright.com and uh, via telephone 614-227-4441 and also on LinkedIn and Twitter, just like Jay. And from uh, Alan and me and, and everyone here at Porterwright, we, we wish you, um, you and yours to be healthy and safe and remain optimistic we look forward to uh, to speaking with you again, and uh, if you have any issues, please do not hesitate to give us a call about antitrust, consumer protection, or, or any other needs you may have. Uh, stay safe, healthy, and uh, uh, stay tuned. Take care. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose and you should not consider it as such. All rights reserved.